All right. This morning we're going we're gonna to end up in chapter 32 of Exodus, but we're going to take a, uh, I, guess if you, I guess if you were speaking Spanish, you'd say we're going to take a little viaje, we're going to take a little trip back to uh, what we've talked about in the previous chapter. So if you want to turn to those chapters and then just, and just r- roll along with me as we go through this, we're going to talk about this, what leads us up to chapter 32. So <clears throat> we, begin in chapter, we begin in chapter 20 where God speaks to the children of Israel. This is the only time, remember, God has actively has spoken to this mass of people, two, three million people, bearing all that in mind. He spoke to them in chapter 20. He gave them the Ten Commandments. He talked about in chapters 21, 22, 23. Um, he gives them the, the, he lays down the foundations of the law with respect to a wide variety of things. He tells them in chapter, uh, you know, in, in chapters 20 through 33, he's going to talk about this covenant, the promise that he's made to them, uh, that they will be a great people. So we come to chapter 24, we come to chapter 24, Moses reads the word of God to them, that covenant then is confirmed, and you can see a corollary there with chapter 24 if you read Hebrews 9, verses 19 and 20, and talks about the covenant that's being made with the children of Israel. So in chapters 25, so at the end of chapter 24, if you notice chapter, at the end of chapter 24, the sight of the glory of God was like a consuming fire on top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel, verse 17. Verse 18, we're going to find out what happens to Moses. So now Moses goes up into the midst of the cloud, and he goes up into the mountain, and he was on the mountain how many days? 40 days, 40 nights. That seems to have some, I remember something else that was 40 days and 40 nights, but I don't remember. Anybody help me? The flood, Noah. So <clears throat> there, is this, there is this sea change, if you will. Noah, God cleansed the earth. They're in the, they're in the ark 40 days, 40 nights. They come out of the ark to a new world. Likewise, the children of Israel coming out of the land of Egypt, as we, as we look at it as Christians coming out of sin, coming in, coming in, being redeemed, being baptized, living the Christian life. Now Moses is going up into the mountain. He's going to stay there 40 days and 40 nights. He's up there six weeks. He's up there six weeks. So bear that in mind. That will come back, that will come back to be something that we'll see um, later on. Uh, in chapter 24, again, verse 18, he goes up and he stays up 20 uh, he stays up uh, 40 days, 40 nights. Now, in the interim, in, in the interim, he has introduced, during this period of time that he's gone, he's up on the mountain, and the succeeding chapters, uh, uh, 25, he talks about, he's talking with God. Now, God is not singularly focused, all right? He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He sees everything. And so he's working with Moses, and I, I have this picture in my mind of Moses with a, with a big yellow legal pad just writing all this stuff down that God's given him. All these things that he's given him to do. He's telling him how to build the ark, what it's supposed to be made of, how it, what the measurements of the ark are. And that's, verse, that's chapter 25. The tabernacle, 
the priest's garments. He talks about the construction of all of these things with Moses. He's up on the mountain with God. God is talking directly to him about these things that he wants Moses in later chapters in uh, Exodus and then over into Numbers. He wants him. He wants them to build. He's given him direction on how things are to be moved, how things are to be set up. And you can see Moses, just sheet after sheet of, of yellow pad, is just writing as fast as he can to get all this down. This is a lot of stuff that God's given him to do. He's talking about the priestly garments, and we're going to talk briefly about priestly garments um, because the, the idea of priestly garments has some, has some overt significance to the Christian today, but we don't dress in priestly garments. We're a royal priesthood. We're a chosen people. We're, select, we're selected by God or we're selected of God if we're obedient to him. So I'm going to spend a little time on priestly garments in, in, in the, the weeks to come. We've got about three or four weeks uh, left of the class, so I want to talk about that. But he's giving him all of this information, and one of the things that he talks with Moses about is something that I'm intensely curious about, but the Bible says nothing about it. And so everything that you, everything that you want to know or need to know about the umum and the theorem are, are, are cloaked in mystery. I don't know what they are. I mean, I, you, when you read scholars and you read what they write about, oh, it just goes from it just goes from one horizon to the other horizon as far as what people think about this. And so we'll talk about that. But um, the urim and the thunim are the two stones that the high priest would keep. Okay, they were very close to his heart. They were they were mounted where they were close to, to close to his heart. Sometimes he kept them in his pocket. Okay, and those two words translate to illumination and perfection. That's, that's, what those word, that's what those words mean in translation. So they are the two stones that the high priest carries, and they are, they are, illuminate, they are illuminating and they are perfect. So these, and you know, I don't want to get off on this and because we, we can get out, we can really get down a rabbit hole on this and talk about this. But anyway, so those two things were part of what God talked with Moses about while he was up on the mountain. So um, chapters 25 through uh, 31 uh, in 27, we talk about the bronze altar. We, in 28, we're talking about those priestly garments. 29, we're talking about how their priests are to be consecrated. And so this was Aaron and his sons. And so next week or the week after, we will talk about um, Aaron and his son and the royal priesthood, how that, uh, how that compares to Christ in the book of Hebrews. So we're going to talk about that in one of our last classes together. And then the altar of incense in, in, in uh, chapter 30. Uh, he's called out the craftsmen uh, in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, in all manner of workmanship in chapter 31. And so these are the people who are going to build these, these things that, that God has spoken to Moses about. Talk to him. Talk to, these are the people who are going to build the ark. They're going to build their tabernacle. They're going to be people that are going to put together all these priestly garments. And so as we come to the end of chapter 31, <clears throat> as we come to the end of chapter 31, we see that when he made an end of speaking with him, on the mountain, he gave Moses two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. Written on one side or written on both sides? Written on one side each or written on front and back? Front and back. Front and back. Two tablets, written front and back. Okay? So, and again, I alluded to the fact last week that, here again, my opinion, my opinion, not dogma, my opinion, is that the laws concerning our man's relationship to God were written on one tablet, and the other tablets <clears throat> were written the things that man's responsibility to other men, man's responsibility to the community, man's responsibility to uh, his neighbor. So we've made an end to this. We have the tablets. We're ready to go. 
Now we go to chapter 32, and that's where we're going to start today. Everybody up to speed? Any questions? Any problems? Okay, here we go. Chapter 32 can be divided into six parts. Okay, six parts. Part 1, chapter uh, chapter 30, chapter 32, verses 1 through 6, the golden calf. Verses 7 through 14, Moses' intervention. Verses 15 through 20, Moses' route, and we'll talk about we'll talk about that. Route. Verses 21 through 24, Aaron's excuses. Verses 25 through 29, the faithless Levites. And verses 30 through 35, through the end of the chapter, Moses' intervention. Everybody got that? 1 through 6, the calf. 7 through 14, Moses intervenes. 15 through 20, Moses' route, R-O-U-T-E. Verses 21 through 24, Aaron's excuses. Verses 25 through 29, the faithless Levites. Verses 30 through 35, Moses' intervention. All right. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, he'd been up there how long? 40 days and 40 nights. Six weeks. Been up there a month, over a month, and a couple weeks. These people, whom in just a few chapters back had said, All of these things we will do once God had spoken to them and the law had been revealed to them. All these people said, these things we will do. The people gathered together with Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then he said, Then they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And so when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Now watch this next verse, verse 6. Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Stephen says in his speech in Acts 7 that they cast off their allegiance to Moses. Would you consider this rebellion against God? Yes. This is very clear rebellion against God. This calf, this idol, did not bring them up out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand. They have, on the order of two to three million people, they have summarily forgotten. Now, it would not be all of them. I would, I would not throw two or three million people under the bus. But there were enough that turned and rebelled against God. And they built this calf. They had Moses, or they had Aaron fashion this calf. And they rose up early. They rose up early. They didn't rise up early to worship God. They didn't rise up early to 
to give allegiance and obedience to the one who had brought them out of Egypt with a mighty hand, they rose up early to worship a golden calf, to eat and to drink, and to play. Now, most scholars will say that when they rose up early to do all these things, there were licentious activities that would have taken place as a part of this. There was nakedness. There was debauchery. All of them? I don't know. But enough of them that it makes it into holy writ. Roger? Well, he's called out. I think we'll see that in a few minutes. He's called out because he begins to give excuse for why he did it. Remember in the garden, who did Adam blame? This woman, you, you, he's blaming God. This woman, you gave me. So he's blaming the woman, but he's really blaming who? He's really blaming God. This woman, you gave me. Oh, he's going to blame the people. Oh, he's going to blame the people, but he's as faithless as the rest of them. This is the, this is the man that his family is going to be the, high, the, 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 the sect of the high priests. And this man just simply, like you said... Doesn't seem to be Aaron didn't put up any kind of a fight. Aaron didn't say, well, no, you know, we, got, we have to wait for Moses to come back to do this. Aaron's just, well, okay, you guys want to do this. Um, all this gold and everything that you're wearing on your bodies that you got from the people of Egypt before we left, just take that all off and we'll make, some, we'll make, we'll make a God. We'll make a God. He's as faithless. To me, it seems to be he's as faithless as the people are. Or he's under such tremendous pressure from the people and I don't know which one it is because we're not given any explanation. Was he under so much? Was he under so much pressure from the people? Remember, this is, you're talking about hundreds of thousands, millions of people, and you know he couldn't speak to all of these people at once. There's no way that you could stand somewhere and speak to two million people at once in this period in time. Hardly can do it today without benefit of some kind of electronic device, and he certainly didn't have that. So he's speaking to the people that are within earshot. And these people, you know, their leaders or whoever they've gotten to rile them up, whether it be Dothan or, or some of the other people, they've got them riled up to where he's just going to say, you know, I, I don't, this, there's a mass of people that want to do this. What am I going to do? That's one excuse that he might offer. But the other is it just seems to be he's as faithless as the rest. And he just says, well, you know, I don't, I don't know what to do. Let's just do this. You know, let's not worship God. Because remember, the people don't have the people don't have the ark yet. They don't have the tabernacle yet. They don't have the priestly garments yet. They don't have any of this stuff yet that's laying down for them how to worship. So they're they're pretty much like sheep, wandering aimlessly. Sure. Yeah. I mean that's in, that's very clear in the first verse. We don't know what happened to him. Yeah. Or he could have been eaten by a wild animal. We don't know. So now we've got to figure out, okay, what are we going to do? Let's, let's build something that, that, that will represent the God that brought us out of Israel or that brought us out of Egyptian bondage. I don't know. Daryl. Sure. There are also, there, and I, I, I thoroughly concur with that opinion, there are also people you know, who will uh, you know, wet their finger and, and see, what the pulse of the, see what the pulse of the masses is and then pattern their gospel according to that because they know that's the best way to get this many people to come along with them whether it be whether it be a false promise or whatever Mike right every time Aaron was doing the speaking 
What's the what, what would be the what's the lesson for us today? Okay. Okay. People are fickle. Okay. So you see you, you see a brother you see a brother or a sister that that person that per, let's take let's take somebody let's take somebody very dear and near to all of our hearts, Jack Ray. Somehow when I read the verse that says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, there are certain people I do, I just can't see fitting there. But yet, we, we don't know. He, I mean, he sins. He's human. But it's hard for us to conceptualize. It's hard for us to get our, our arms around someone who is so faithful and so present at every worship service and so much a part of everything that this church has gone through over the years, growing wise, that you just don't see that. Now, you look at somebody like me. Okay, well, oh, that's, not hard. that's not hard to believe. Okay, I'm as broken. I'm as broken as everyone else. I'm as in need of salvation as everyone else. But when you look at someone like Aaron, with his reputation, with the things that he had done, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah, the, the examples, the examples in the Bible are endless. Well, if you look at the if you look at the book of Hebrews, look at how the look at how the book of Hebrews, with respect to the high priest, which is which is Aaron, with respect to the high priest, who's he compared to? Who's he the type of? Who's our high priest? He that's who this is. That's who you read the book of Hebrews. That's who he's compared to. Yet he was his faith. David, how was he characterized in the Bible? A, a man after what? God's own heart. This is a man guilty of murder, adultery. Any number of sins, you just take it and run with it. Any number of sins. And this is a man after God's own heart. So if nothing else, this tells me that God is a God of forgiveness. Because these people, as mistake-prone as they were, are still in heaven's hall of fame. Right? How soon? How soon? We're not even... We're not even we're not even ten or so chapters past and when these people swore allegiance to God that they would do everything that he said. How soon these people turned. What did he say? Right? Sure. Well, look at Paul. I mean, Paul's the same way. Paul's a murderer. One of the greatest gospel preachers that's ever lived down through time. He's a murderer. And what did he say? He said, I do the things I know I'm not supposed to do. And I don't do the things I know I'm supposed to do. Who can't say that? And who can't be a part of that? Yes, sir. So verse uh, 7 through 14. So now the scene switches. Now we've left the children of Israel down at the foot of the mountain, and they're all playing. They're eating and drinking. They're playing. They're worshiping their, their, their false god. They're worshiping their idol. And the Lord said to Moses... Go, get down from, get down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Well, wait a minute now. Your people? Who's God laying this responsibility at the feet of? Moses. He says, your people. You brought them out of the land of Egypt. Is that really what happened? God's making a point. He's making a point. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. Yes, they have. 
They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed they are a stiff-necked people. Now watch verse 10. Now therefore, leave me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. I have read in the Bible many times that God was many things. He's been happy. We've anthropomorphized his emotions down through time. This is the only time that I can think of God is, put the P word in there. He's peeved. That's not the word I've chose, but that's the word I can use in church. He's peeved. He is not happy. He is. And he's going to destroy all these people. He's going to destroy every one of them. And he's going to start out fresh with Moses. And make of him a great people. Yes, ma'am. I just know for right now. And if you read through the end of this chapter. And into the beginning of the 20. uh, Into the beginning of the 33rd chapter. God's attitude toward the children of Israel changes, and it changes markedly. It changes so much that in the 33rd chapter, Moses has to erect the tabernacle or the the place of worship where God comes. He has to place that place of worship outside of the camp. What usually goes outside of the camp? What goes outside the camp? Sin. Sin goes outside the camp. When someone sinned, they're put outside the camp. When someone commits a sin, they're, they're placed outside the camp. And now Moses has to, has to erect the tabernacle, the place of worship. He has to erect it outside. He has to erect it outside because God's done with them. He's done with them. You go to the 33rd chapter, and we'll, we'll get to this verse, but go up verse 3 of chapter 33. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. If you don't think God's upset about this, you're not reading your Bible very carefully. He is peeved at these people. Yes, sir? The first time. No, not the first time. Won't be the last. Yeah, this is this is this seems this this strikes me this strikes me as the harshest that I've ever seen that I will that I've ever in my reading of Scripture this is the harshest that I've ever seen God. He said, you go the land, he said, you go to that land flowing with milk and honey. I'm not going in your midst. I'm not going to be with you. And he's already told them, he's already told them back a few chapters, when you go into the land flowing with milk and honey, my angel is going to go with you. Well, he didn't retract that. He said, my angel is going to go before you because I'm not going to be in your midst. I don't want to have anything to do with you. So he was set to consume the whole lot of them and start all fresh, start fresh with Moses. But let's see what happens. Moses pleaded with the Lord his God. This is a man who we're told later on goes to the door of the tabernacle and he speaks to God as one speaks to what? As one speaks to a friend. When Mike and I talk, when any of us, when any, any of you all and I, I talk to me, we, we speak to one another as friends. Moses has that relationship with God. He speaks to God as one would speak to a friend. 
Do you have that kind of relationship with God? Do you speak to God as one who would talk to a friend? He is your friend, you know. He's not only your God, he's your friend. So Moses says, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out? Now he changes it back. He changes it back on, he puts it back on God. See how he did it? You've brought them out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Don't you remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as stars of the heavens, and all this land that I have spoken of I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. So Moses makes a very persuasive argument. He says, God, you swore. You swore by yourself. What do we know about God? What is one of the things that we know about God? He cannot lie. He cannot forswear against himself. Right? And his progression, and his progression through time is, is one that, that you should emulate, but still, he didn't, get to, he didn't get to go into the land. Sure. Things that were written aforetime are written for what? Our learning. Don't be like these people. Don't act like these people. Don't serve idols. And we've got plenty of idols that we carry around with us today that take the place of God. There's a couple things that come out of this. Why was, his, why was his wrath so hot? Why was he so mad? Why did he say to Moses, they're your people? What about Egypt? What about Egypt and going back to where they came from? He'd just be, he'd, he, would just be, he would just be as soon to kill them all as he did. So Moses asks those three questions. Lord, why is your wrath so hot? Why would we go back to Egypt where they, where they would kill us? Why, why, why have you forgotten your promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob or Israel? So the Lord relented, verse 14. The Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. So everything's cool? We're all right now? Everything's fine? No. No. He only relented from destroying them. He's not relented from punishing them. And sin always exacts punishment. Is it always immediate? Is punishment for sin always immediate? If you go out here today and you drive your car into the side of another car and you kill a small child, is the punishment that you're going to endure immediate? No. The consequences last long afterward. How about the person who's a substance abuser? 20, 30 years of substance abuse, and they decide one day for whatever reason to become a Christian. They read the Bible, they study, they repent, they get baptized. Are they suddenly not a substance abuser anymore? Consequences of sin last a long time. And as, as Chuck said, this is one of the things that's going to follow the children of Israel, the consequence of their sin. Consequence of their sin. And so in verse 15, Moses turns. He goes back down the mountain. Now he knows what's been, now he knows what's going on down there. Because God's told him. So he knows what's going on. Halfway down the mountain, who's there, who's there to meet him? Who went up to the mountain with him but stayed halfway? Joshua. 
And Joshua says, well, the tablets were written on both sides, one on one side, one on the other, where they're written. Now the tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved in the tablets. So these tablets are pretty important. They're pretty valuable. So he gets down to Joshua, and Joshua says, Joshua says, I've heard the noise of the people as they shouted, but said to Moses, there's a noise in the camp of war. Who had they had in previous chapters before they got to Sinai, before they got to the mountain of God? Who had they had, who had, they had a, a battle with? We didn't really talk about this too much, and we can go back and talk about it. Who did they have a, who'd they have a battle with? Do you remember? The Amalekites? And what happened during that battle of the, with the Amalekites? As long as Moses' hands were in the air, what happened? They were winning. You sit for, you sit for, for five or six hours and keep your hands up in the air like this. This, this was a drill that we learned a long time ago in, the, in police academy. That's what they have you do. They put your hands up, and they leave you like that. How long can you keep your hands up like this? How long? Not very. <laughs> Five hours. Without taking them down, I'm getting tired already. And when he took his hands down, what happened? Tide of the battle turned against them. And so he had one on either side. Hold his hands up. Aaron had been left in charge of the camp when Moses left. That's back in the, the chapter when it says he went up onto the mountain. Who else did he leave in charge along with Aaron? Come on. Her, H-U-R. Not Ben, but her. Not Ben, just her. And the elders. So Aaron is not singularly complicitous in this. There are others that are to blame also. So when Joshua heard the noise, he said, there's the noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat. It's the sound of singing I hear. So they're worshiping. They rose up early to worship an idol. So it was, verse 19. As he came near to the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing and all of the other things that don't get mentioned here that would go along with this type of worship, the nakedness, the licentiousness, all of these things that, that would go along with these types of idol worship that we've, that we've seen and have been recorded down through history. The cry of singing, or the sound of singing. And so it was as soon as he came near the camp, he saw the calf and he saw the dancing, and his anger became hot. So now he's, now he's mad. And he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. And so in verse 20, he takes the calf which, he had, which they had made, he burned it in the fire, ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the children of Israel drink of it. And now verse 21. Moses says to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought such great sin upon them? What did this people do to you? The relationship they have with God is broken. They don't know if it's not been broken irreparably. We know that it's not. But if you put yourself in that time and in that place, in verse 22 he says, the first excuse, don't let your anger, don't let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. 
What, what do we say? What do we say today? There's, there's modern parlance for this. Huh? I, I told you so. One of the ones that I thought of automatically when I read this was, you know how they are. You know how they are. You give them an inch, they'll take a mile. You know how they are. The they is those people that you're that you're speaking about that that you know just they're they're just irrevocably damaged. They're not worth saving. You know how they are. We say that about. We say that about people today. I'm not going to spend any time talking about that person. You see, he's 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 just he's. He's not, he's, not, he's not savable. I'm not going to waste my time on him. I'm not going to waste my time on her. You know how they are. They're set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods that should go before us as for Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt. For we don't know what's become of him. Just throw in the towel. Give up. Oh, we don't have Moses. Although we've got all of these things that Moses has, has laid out for us as, as God's commandments, God's spoken to us not many days, you know, six, eight weeks ago, two months, three months ago, God spoke to us how soon they forgot that God spoke to them. And I said to them, Aaron speaking, whosoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me and I cast it in the fire and the, and the calf came out. So let me get this straight, Aaron. You took all this gold off all these people, or they gave it to you. And you threw this gold into the fire. Yep. Gave it to me. I cast it into the fire. And what comes loping out? A golden calf. Look what you made me do. Look what you made me do. Oh, yeah. But that's not what he's telling Moses now. Yeah. Yeah, he, he, worked, he, worked, he worked hard at making this. And now the story's changed. Look what they made me do. Mike? Right? It's always the little things. If you look in this, if you look in this for lessons for Christians today, they're not worth saving. You know how they are. Throw it in the fire and it just walked out. I didn't have anything to do with that. Look what they made me do. All the excuses Christians offer today for not working with someone, not being a part of someone's life and teaching them the, teaching them the gospel, talking to them about Jesus. It's not worth saving. Sounds very woke. Yeah, sounds very woke. And what happens next is what happens to woke people, I hope. Moses stood at the entrance of the camp. Multiple entrances to this camp. Remember, this is two, three million people. So Moses, Moses is talking to Moses is talking to Aaron, and he's talking now. He's going to talk to the people. Is, is everybody going to hear what he said? Did everybody participate in this in, in this in this idol worship? I don't know. I'm going to guess that there's a certain certain portion of the people that are not going to bow the knee to this idol. I'm going to guess there's a, there's a portion of them. This remnant. There's always been a remnant in the Bible. There's always been a faithful small group. You're part of that remnant today, okay? As Christians, as faithful Christians, you're part of the remnant. But I've got to believe that there was a small portion, a remnant of people that were saying, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to wait on Moses. We're going to worship God. We're going to do what's right. I'm not going to pay attention to this. Man, I thought I had enough material to get through class. Not even close. 
So now Moses sends out the sons of Levi. He stands in the entrance of the camp, verse 26. Whosoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered together with him. Were all the sons of Levi faithful to God? Were all of the sons of Levi faithful to God? According to this, apparently not. Because Moses says to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out of the entrance to entrance throughout the camp, and let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. So my guess is, and this is just speculation on my part, these people are dancing and, 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 and there's revelry going on. They're rising up to play. And the Levites are going to go through and kill a bunch of people. Now it says your brother. So there may have been some Levites that contributed to this that got themselves killed. If I read this correctly. So how many people got killed? Sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses and about 3,000 of the men of the people Thousand men of the people fell that day. Three thousand out of two million. Three thousand out of two million. Okay. Consecrate yourselves this day. Verse twenty-nine to the Lord, and He may bestow you a blessing this day. For every man has opposed his son and his brother. So they were. There were even Levites that were unfaithful. Now it came to pass on the next day, Moses said to the people, you've committed a great sin. So now I will go up to the Lord and perhaps I can make atonement. He returns to the Lord. He says, these people have committed a great sin, have made themselves a God of gold. Yet now if you will forgive their sin, but if you won't forgive their sin, God, do what? Kill me. If you won't forgive the people, I'll make atonement. Kill me. God says, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot them out of the book. Therefore, go lead this people to a place which I have spoken to you. The angel will go before you. Nevertheless, in the day that I visit, when I visit for punishment, I will visit punishment upon them for their sin. So the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf that Aaron made. Take-home lessons. We've got a couple minutes. Here are the take-home lessons from this today. God will forgive, but we still suffer consequence for our sin. Yes? Yes. Poor leadership, poor leadership always leads to sin. Strong elders, strong deacons, strong congregation. Weak elders, vacillating deacons, people who don't do their jobs, who don't lead as, as, as God would want, lead the people astray. Poor leadership always leads to sin. Titus 1.9, Acts 20.28. 20, Idolatry in whatever form breaks your covenant with God. And when you're baptized into Christ, you make a promise to God to do his will. If you don't do that, you break your covenant with God. You become the God you worship. You become the God you worship. Look at Isaiah. He said you take a piece of wood and you carve it. And you carry it around with you. And this is your God. This is carved. This carved piece of wood is your God. You set it down and you pick it up. What gods, what gods do you carry around with you? What idols do you carry around with you? Does God carry you or do you carry God? Sin in the camp always causes problems. Always causes problems.
God's out. As far as the children of Israel are concerned now, he's out. Sin outside the camp. We go into chapter 33, as we'll do uh, in the coming weeks, and we'll see that this has to be set up outside, has to be set up outside where the people can worship. God comes and talks to Moses. It reminds me of the church at Laodicea. We're not in the Revelation class, but in the church at Laodicea. What did God say to those people? He said, I wish that you were either hot or cold, but you're not that. You're what? You're lukewarm. And God vomits them out of his mouth. Sin in the camp always causes problems. Good Lord willing, we'll see you next week. Thank you.